Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Faces and FinOps podcast powered by ProsperOps. I'm your host, John Meyer. Now, the Faces and FinOps podcast is all about highlighting thought leaders in the cloud financial management space and insights in how they're making an impact not only within their organization, but within the broader FinOps community. Typically, this is where I give our guests a chance to introduce themselves. But I think it's time we do a highlight reel of our past 18 episodes. Yes, I'm talking 18 episodes already. And I think we highlight some of those guests and the topics that we started discussing. Those topics range from multi-maturity steps. Can you be in a crawl, walk, and run? What about the stages of FinOps between centralized, decentralized, or even both? Will there always be waste in the cloud? Hmm, what about reporting? Accurate reporting? And trust in reporting? Plus, we also answered the tough question of what does FinOps really mean? You know, I think it's time we get to the highlights of our 18 episodes. Let's do it. Can you be in multiple maturity stages throughout your FinOps journey? Absolutely. Especially when if you kind of break down the FinOps framework, maybe if you look at, uh, let's keep it really simple, uh, inform, optimize, and operate. You could be really advanced in the inform stage, so the visualization and view stage, while not actually maybe getting there in the other section so quite often one of the first things that happens in an organization is they really focus on getting the visibility piece there getting the recommendations there but they then struggle to get action taking place and there's no automation around that so you can absolutely have different parts of your uh, even in the same department different parts of your journey um, at different stages of core work run just about which pieces you've focused on and we find quite often organizations especially with the tooling they may choose that will somewhat dictate where they are in their journey. If you choose a tool that's really good at tagging, you're going to be over there. If you've got a tool that's all about automated optimizations, then actually your optimize phase and the operate might be further on, but maybe actually not as good as the visualization side. And so actually you're in form. I like how you said you're bringing folks along for the ride and you actually touched on three of the main keys for implementing FinOps between the centralized, decentralized and hub or both, a variation of both. Are you using both? I think you've mentioned it where you're using centralized and decentralized at the same time throughout the organization. Yeah. Um, so Block, I would say, is a pretty decentralized organization. Uh, the business units function relatively independently. So cash and afterpay and square and foundational engineering uh, all have slightly different environments. And so when I think about centralized versus decentralized operating structure, it's a lot different, I would say, than a, you know, uh, another company that may have uh, one engineering organization and one repository and one way of deploying. We have a bunch of different ways to deploy and to spin things up. We have a couple of different Kubernetes environments, for example. So when I talk about centralized versus decentralized uh, in the context of block, what I'm talking about is what can the cloud economics team manage centrally and try to propagate centrally? And what do we need to partner with uh, application teams on or engineering teams on in a decentralized format so they can do some of the optimization? So it's pretty standard FinOps. Um, uh, definition of rate optimization versus usage optimization uh, in the operating model that we have tried to implement here at Block and are working on improving every day. Uh, cloud economics is responsible for central rate optimization, such as RIs and savings plans, trying to get to spot, trying to get to storage tiering for S3 and helping folks implement that. 
versus usage optimization, where we may work with an application team that's deployed into Kubernetes to reduce their idle costs by reducing the delta between their uh, requested Kubernetes capacity for CPU and memory and what they're actually utilizing themselves. So the difference to me is what can the cloud economics team or the centralized FinOps team do and manage themselves versus what do we need the teamwork and the collaboration with the application and engineering teams to do? Um, for FinOps to really to work, the executives need to know that cloud, as, as long as you build things in the cloud, there will be waste, right? And they need to know that this waste cleanup, this, this FinOps um, discipline is something that needs to be done on an ongoing basis, right? You don't just do FinOps, uh, you know, once a quarter and then you do something else. It's a continuous thing, right? There's cost anomalies, um, all kinds of, you know, um, training and, um, you know, credits, um, bill inconsistencies, invoices, wrong, wrong number on the invoice, that kind of stuff, right? So it's an ongoing discipline. Um, I have been doing it for 10 years now. So I, you know, can do a lot of things in very little time. And that really helps me, you know, get through my workday. When you say it's an ongoing thing, and I think here's the thing with the FinOps culture and that it should be known is that it's, and I like that you pointed out that it's not done like once a month or once every couple of months. It's something that should be done do you recommend obviously daily you're looking at the reporting daily you're looking at anomalies daily you're looking at costs either up or down daily as yeah. as part of it so you can be in stay on top of things that's absolutely right um it's it's i have a daily routine right i look at cost anomalies in the morning um some of those are self-service where the engineers actually get the the messages um some we don't have the automation yet and i just sent an email over with a screenshot, you know, of the of the cost graph, <laughs> it goes up, um, that kind of stuff, right? Then I look at the reservation management, the savings plans, and that RI portfolio um, improves gross margin by about one point six percent. So that is very substantial, right? If if some random guy like me can help you save millions, why wouldn't you want to try that? Do you find it challenging that the reporting might be uh, out there like biweekly, monthly or something like that in order to actually perform this action? Is reporting supposed to be daily or is it really kind of based off your environment? In the beginning, it was done daily, but as you progress and you matured a lot longer, uh, it's done monthly. Um, no, it, it really it varies by... Uh by business segment or cost center, really what their spend is. Uh, for the most part, most of our spend is somewhat stable at this point. We do support projects, we do support mergers and acquisitions, and there is testing and that kind of stuff. But our cloud spend is much more stable than it was in the beginning. And so most of our uh, end users do not require the daily uh, reports. I still want to see the daily reports because I want to know if there's any major spikes. I also want to know if I have a data integrity issue before I have 15, 20, 50 people saying, hey, what's wrong with the reports? My spend is out of whack. 
Um, that probably wasn't the best grammar, but uh, spend is not what it was supposed to be. And um, so I, I want to be preemptive so I can send out a mass email just saying, hey, we know we have a data integrity issue. We understand this. We expect to have it resolved within the next 24 hours. Look for the next update. And that way I'm not feeding questions. I'm also building trust amongst uh, my end users so they know what to expect. They know that we're on top of our data sets. I think you just nailed it right there. The data integrity and building the trust amongst the users is that if the data is incorrect, then they're not going to trust the actions that need to be performed in order to optimize or reduce spend or even scale or to grow an environment. That is 100% true. What does FinOps really mean? Oh God, <laughs> what is the meaning of life? What is the Holy grail? I, the, you know, the, the definition of FinOps is basically about deriving value, right? Getting the maximum value for the cloud. I think sometimes people go, well, FinOps is financial operations and yes and no, right? Um, if you say it's just financial operations, then you miss all of the other components that have to be in place in order to have a successful FinOps proce uh, project process team um, and culture. Because if you're just focusing on the financial, then what you're missing is, hey, did security come through and do their part? Uh, did architecture actually make sure that this thing is going to meet our performance requirements? And those things have financial impacts, but they are not financial operational procedures, right? So, you know, coining the term FinOps and then, you know, it's kind of relatives, cloud financial management and all of these things, I think put very high amount of pressure on the word financial. And don't get me wrong, the finances are important because you got to pay that bill somehow, some way but it often leaves the impression that it's only the f accountants and the finance people that are driving activities. And if that's the case, you're missing some of what needs to be considered, which is your technical implementation and reliability of your offering, whatever that may be. If you thought the highlights from those previous episodes were awesome, we're also answering the tough questions in the upcoming highlights around FinOps and CFM. And what's the difference? Automation with FinOps? Hmm, I think that's actually key to get some things done. Do you or should you benchmark yourself against other companies? Should FinOps start with the architecture stage? What about some mistakes made by immature teams when implementing FinOps? Mary, let me ask you the difference between cloud financial management and FinOps. Why do we have two terms? Do they both mean the same thing as one more than the other? You know, depends on who you ask. If I hear CFM, I assume, and this may not be true, right? Um, in an, any particular organization. But if I hear CFM, I assume it is really more about the rate optimization component, right? Are we buying all of our RIs and savings plans, are we negotiating our biggest discounts, all of that kind of stuff. And then if I hear FinOps, I'm assuming that it's a much broader cultural practice. But the reality is 
people often use those terms interchangeably. And so you have to spend some time talking to them to figure out exactly what their organization is doing or what their mindset is. Because I have heard FinOps people who seem to just focus on rate optimization and tagging and cost reporting and not any of the other side of it. Um, and I've heard CFM people, you know, I do CFM, not FinOps. And for them, it's all encompassing. And I know people who don't call it either of the things. They just call it good stewardship, right? They're just doing what should be done and they don't give it a name. Um, so, you know, are they the same thing? Maybe. Are they wildly different? Maybe. It just depends on who you're asking and what you're talking about. Ali, let's talk a little bit more about your organization. Are you utilizing like automation in certain areas? I think we definitely do. I'd say I will always be able to use more automation. Um, the one area within automation that we're always looking to do is how can we prioritize the automation that we're investing in so that it maximizes the use of our team and our team's time. So for example, in the bill processing space, bill processing is a space that no one wants to be manual and we all know within the cloud, there's always a manual aspect of it, but how can we continue to make it more automated so that our teams can better prioritize in other areas? Um, optimization, identification, we want to automate that as, as much as possible. So we're always continuing to look for automation, um, but we definitely do use a lot of automation today and work with a lot of big data. Well, speaking of other companies, one of the things that you do within the Phenom's practice is benchmark yourselves against other companies. It's not a competition, but to see where you rank. And if you're feeling that it's very tough to rank some of that, how are you accomplishing that? Are you, are you benchmarking against other companies or are you just taking what you guys are doing and having others benchmark against yourself? Um, to be honest, I'm not benchmarking, um, versus any other company out there. I'm only trying to use unit economics to understand what the value and impact of our practice. So to, to rephrase your question is how you do you measure your own value or FinOps practice at Wix based on what you do? So how do we measure my value? Is that the direction? Yeah, go for it. That, okay, that um, seems like a fair enough rephrase. Perfect. Um, so I wouldn't consider, for example, if I'll save X millions a year versus the percentage of other companies doesn't make sense. We're a public company. So our last public report, financial reports actually specified the reduction we had in non-GAAP operational costs. It's insane. Nothing out of it was uh, purchasing reservation. Nothing out of it was using spots or some quick wins. Everything was engineering uh, agendas that we advanced. So the first vector of measuring my value the reduction in dollar value, meaning that if we, our run rate per unit economic was X and now I'm half X, then I did something well. Uh, secondly, uh, the way, I guess the second vector will be the human resources, making sure that people in engineering around me are utilizing our services. So uh, people are asking for reports, people are engaged with us in a conversation about architecture, about new features, new designs, um, it's, it's a huge cultural change at Wix, making sure that engineers actually integrate us. Uh, I call it seat at the table. So we have um, the same say as a, a 
the DevOps guy as our managers, as our VP R&D, and we have our input to be aggregated into the decision-making of our managers. So it's, it's the second vector of how I measure my value that everyone cares about what I think. So good job, Fir. I think the third one would be to make sure that people uh, really talk about the same language. Uh, that we, I think one of the challenges that is, for me, very surprising, uh, that is not current, is to adjust that common language in FinOps, uh, to connect between finance, between the engineers. For us, it's still a, a, a huge challenge. And I'll explain why, because terminology matters. When we talk with engineers about cost, no one cares. So I would have come to an engineer telling him, your workload costs $200. And it's like, I also agree with you that one of the first steps is architecture, right? Is because if you go ahead and you work towards, you know, RIs and savings plans immediately as your first step, you're going to change your architecture at some time. And if you reevaluate it or refactor it in any way, and you reduce it, you can end up costing more with underutilized instances that you shouldn't have purchased in the first place. So the way that I like to think about that, like you're exactly on point there. Um, buying an RI, the buying RIs, buying savings plans, um, committing to certain uh, contractual commitments even, locks in architectural decisions. You, as soon as you make those purchases, as soon as you make those commitments, you've locked in a decision. Uh, what happens when you change that architecture? Are you sure that that was the architectural decision you wanted to commit to? And if you don't understand why that was built the way it was built, then you're just making a commitment over nothing. You don't understand what you just did. Uh, to us, the way that we think about it is understand the architecture first and only after you've optimized the architecture, then start making commitments. Austin, what are some of the biggest mistakes you might see immature FinOps teams implement or try to achieve? Sure, yeah. Um, I think mistakes would probably be not getting to know um, or not asking why amongst their, their, um, their stakeholders, their engineering teams, right? Um, and, I, and I'm just speaking, you know, more so from my own personal experience of having, you know, fell in, fallen into FinOps and really trying to make like an impact as much as possible, right? Kind of uh, having egg on my face for for trying to go into a conversation going like, we notice that you guys are using these old generations. Like, why aren't you using these new generations, right? Um, and... Yeah, I think really being able to sit down with your stakeholders and understand like why, what, how is their, you know, why are they running what they're running, right? And you know, a lot of times people just aren't even aware of, um, you know, what's what's going on uh, in the latest and greatest, you know, uh, offerings that AWS has. And so, um, I think the one recommendation or or advice tied in with mistakes that I see is. Uh, really rushing in to make an impact uh, and uh, and not taking the time to uh, really sit down with your sit down with your your stakeholders and understand uh, what they're going through. 
Um, and I think tied in with that is making sure, like I said, you have the data um, democratized to, to work with people uh, to, to sit around the table together and understand, you know, what's your, what's your cost at, what's your run rate, how much you, are you uh, looking to grow and, and how can we, um, how can we work together to really understand the cost op cost savings, cost reduction opportunities? You know, I'm glad we answered the tough question between what's the difference between FinOps and CFM, but in the upcoming highlights, we're going to have a spooky edition and talking about convertible RIs. This was actually probably one of my favorites because we added all kinds of things in there and we dressed up specifically for it. Everybody wants to talk about AI and FinOps, and we're going to talk about it. Here's the highlights. It's so cryptic of actually buying a three-year convertible RI. Yeah, so the convertible, is, yeah, so that's the other type of RI that we haven't really talked about yet, but that is actually um, pretty special because I'm not dependent on this RI marketplace for starters, right? So if I need to modify a convertible RI, I can literally just go ahead and modify it. So this is a regional concept, but I can modify tenancy platform, which is just the AWS term for OS. I can modify the quantity, the, the instance family, the instance size literally any of the traits that I specify when I buy a convertible RI, I can change at any point in time. There's none of this 30 day hold stuff. Um, and furthermore, I can actually change them as often as I want. This is something that CrossRobot does for us around the clock, right CrossRobot? Man, Prospera, you're all over the place doing a lot of stuff automatically for customers and helping them out, Matt. I have to jump in and ask you about CRIs a little bit because aren't they, you don't save as much with CRIs versus regular RIs, but you have the flexibility with them, right? That's exactly right. So standard RIs, if you're using those um, as your primary discount vehicle within AWS, because of that rigidity that we talked about, the 30-day hold time, um, the, you're, dip, you know, you're beholden to these external marketplace liquidity factors. So for those reasons, it's really hard to get very high coverage up to that last, let's say like 10 to 20%. Uh, and so there you're in the situation again where you've got this on-demand that you don't necessarily need. However, with convertible RIs, I can cover all the way up almost into the very high 90s, you know, depending on volatility. But let's say I can cover you know, pretty consistently like at 95% with a convertible RI because of their flexibility, because I can modify them as often as I want to match my new workloads. So if I change everything to Graviton or change everything to AMD or whatever it is, um, I wanna take advantage of a new uh, instance family that AWS release, right? I can literally just change my workloads and then modify my RIs at the same point. Now this is hard to manage, but again, an autonomous solution like ProsperOps solves that problem for you. That is the one catch with RIs, I feel. They're hard to manage at scale. Imagine you've got thousands of instances and you make changes to even a fraction of those. Now you've got to change the same number of, of RIs to suit those new changes, right? So this is the challenge of it. But again, a platform like ProsperOps delivers autonomous savings and, and matches those RIs to the engineering realities around the clock.
Hey, we're talking about automation and things, but let's talk about AI. And I know it's the hottest term right now. Everybody wants to talk generative AI, but do you see AI impacting FinOps at all throughout the implementation, throughout the journey? Absolutely. So pretty much every single executive briefings conference that I'm part of with a the customer, they're always asking about AI. And I love to sit in on those conversations. I've been fortunate the last two EBCs that I've done, the session right before me was about AI. And I got to sit in and, and learn about that from some of the you know AWS experts that we have. I think it's it's definitely one of the hottest topics. And you know, one of the ways that we, we might think about that is just a new technology, right? It's part of the ecosystem of uh, of the cloud, right? And it's a new technology. So if we went from like EC2 to then like containers or, or we go to serverless technology, these are new technologies that are enabling us to do more with less um, and be more agile. AI is going to just be like another step function improvement. It's like off the charts compared to some of these other technologies that we have. But um, it's, it's really in its infancy, just kind of in a lot of ways, like the cloud is in its infancy. And so how exactly it's going to be implemented at different customers is kind of yet to be seen. I think uh, from a development perspective, some of the gen AI tools that we have around helping, cut, uh, helping engineers to code faster and, uh, and make recommendations for them, uh, like uh, Amazon Code Whisperer, I think is, is an example of that. And, and now we've released it to where it can actually integrate with the customer's code base that they might have in it in some of those like um, machine learning templates that they might have already built on their side. Um, and so I think that's a way in which we can create more like business value um, and more agility on behalf of the customers. Um, there's probably a lot more that's going to be done. Like we're already using machine learning to help customers forecast their cost and usage. That's probably just going to get better and better as we can make more and more inferences with trends. Um, but one thing I will say is that FinOps in, in the technology space, we love to throw technology at a problem. If you go tell a leader that you're going to go solve a problem with people, they're going to look at you like you have two heads, right? But uh, I think FinOps is one of those spaces uh, within technology that we cannot solve with technology alone. And we never will. So it's all about picking our finance and our engineering teams, putting them closer together. And AI can assist with that, but it's never going to be the whole solution. And so we, we probably won't want to lose sight of that. We're not going to solve everything with AI, uh, but it's going to augment a lot of the, the things that we're doing in FinOps. Rich, I see a new problem here with cloud and FinOps. In the old process, CTOs are very technical. CEOs are typically not technical, but the relationships work in the current way that things were going. Now with cloud FinOps, how are these new relationships actually going to work? So what we need to do is have a much more regular cadence of interaction. If you put your, your, yourself in a finance seat, Imagine all the different parts of the organization that you deal with for, for the work that you do. So specifically, you can take something like budgeting and forecasting, right? What do you think um, is going to happen next quarter in your area? And they, and they move all through the org to try to, to pull together that data. And so they wind up, if you will, um, sort of in, in a shallow manner, speaking a lot of different languages across the org. And it's particularly difficult with cloud mainly because it's not only that the cloud economics are complex, meaning the dynamics of how costs get incurred, but budgeting and forecasting is particularly challenging in cloud. So if you kind of zoom out for a moment, the very elasticity and flexibility of cloud is why the budgeting and forecasting can be such a challenge. 
because uh, what we're going to do next period, uh, there's all kinds of different permutations of what might happen, and that might cause different services to be used at different levels. And so if the interaction between finance and, and tech is sporadic, then it's almost like trying to visit a country and speak French once a year, or in this case, once a quarter. Really, really, really challenging, where if you're more immersed, maybe you've got Babel and you're, and you're studying French every day a little bit, then you're going to do better when you have to have those in-depth conversations. So that's kind of one of the main solutions that we see um, is how do we get those teams on a regular cadence of interaction so that the cloud concepts and dynamics are top of mind on a regular basis for finance. Uh, and then I would also say there's an element of trust here as well. So, um, so what you don't want is to see sort of an adversarial relationship grow up where the technical side has a sense that whenever finance comes knocking, there's a negative connotation to the interaction. That's what we need to get away from. And one of the ways that you can improve trust, again, is with a regular cadence of communication. For example, uh, do we have a relationship in place where the technical leadership is comfortable coming to finance before the overrun is realized at the end of a quarter or a month and say, hey, heads up, uh, we're really trending ahead of things. We're trying to get ahead of it. We want you to be aware of it. That's a very high trust interaction that's going to make that end of month or end of quarter interaction way, way, way better because uh, then finance doesn't feel like they're sort of blindsided. Savannah, the FinOps survey year over year comes out this past year, 33% indicated that it's hard to motivate their engineers to take action. What are you seeing within customers? And is it right around that where it's hard to motivate or how are they motivating their engineers? Yeah. Um, so it depends a lot on the corporate culture in general. I will say I've seen folks be successful with a lot of different things, um, but making it part of their day and making it something that they're measured on and aware of is really the foundation. So if they don't know what's going on, if they don't have any kind of cost outcome, if they don't ever see their bill, if they don't ever think about it, if they don't have visibility into what they're doing um, from a cost perspective, it's really, really hard to get them to care because they don't know what they're caring about. So transparency and communication of costs, I, I think, is the foundation there. And then from there, I've seen folks gamify it a whole bunch of different ways. Um, in the simplest sense, I would say recognition is usually where we start. It's something that um, really highlights that it matters to the business. If we're calling out folks and saying, hey, good job doing this, good job doing that, um, recognizing people who have optimized and, and brought costs down. Um, it's also like it's a nice pat on the back for them getting recognized is, is always something that, that feels good. So I would say start there. And then you can kind of think to larger scale things. If you want to run a campaign to focus on a certain service, um, do some sort of fin hack, add some gamification into it. We've seen all of those things work well. Um, so really depends on, on what you like, what rhythms are already in your business, what you want to do, but communicate costs and recognize people are kind of the, the two short versions. 
Well, if you like those highlights, how about the following highlights and talking about AWS and FinOps. AWS joined the FinOps Foundation. Technically, they joined it a couple months ago, but this episode really talks about the relationship. Trust with FinOps. And is it the beginning? How about AWS reInvent with the optics team talking about kudos and focus? Yes, they're just acronyms, but you're going to have to watch those episodes to find out more information about them. And is FinOps about saving money or making money? What is AWS role specifically for FinOps? How are you now educating? You've always been educating customers on cost optimization, cloud financial management, been doing it from the beginning. But now the term FinOps has really come into play and customers are realizing that they need this new culture within their organization in order to make sure that they're not wasting a ton of money within cloud, but they're using it in an optimal way. Like how is AWS helping now? So I think joining the foundation is okay, the first step. I feel like we're going to get more involved in things like the focus project to make sure that all data can be, I guess, normalized across different providers, which is exciting. We also want to be more engaged and get more customer feedback. And so that's the kind of things that I'm hoping that us joining the foundation will do. And then in terms of us overall, I think more and more we're looking to help customers in the two main ways I see is is obviously saving money. So we're always, and we've always done this, advising on how to make sure that what you're spending on the cloud is the most use for you. So I think it's JR that always says that the FinOps is not about saving money. It's about, what is it, making money? That's it. Making money. Yep. I use that quote often when I post yeah. support. <laughs> question, and I actually wrote it down because how critical is it for companies to think about this when they're trying to, when they're first getting off the ground, like let's think about FinOps when we go to the cloud, let's think about FinOps because FinOps can actually work for on-premise as well, because it's just a factor of all the teams working together. How critical is it for them to think about and try to implement FinOps from the start if they're a techie startup company versus a well-established one? So in the techie market, they do not, take it from day one. They need to build a product, get the market fit. That's the focus. Then scale to 10 customers, 20 customers, 50 customers. And then in year three, they found out that they spent so much dollars, much more than they needed. And actually these dollars are critical for them because, you know, instead of, they need investments. So actually these dollars that are waste for no reason. So in many cases, they wake up, I would call too late, in my opinion, many many, many of the techie organizations I, I meet. In some cases, they also think they do FinOps, but like you say, FinOps is it's bigger and it's touching many more people in the organization. FinOps is not only DevOps job, it's, yeah, DevOps are doing optimization and doing, dealing with governance and, but, Many others, you know, developers are impacting what's get to the cloud. So now, Yuri, the last question and the last thing I want to talk about before we wrap things up, and you mentioned it early, focus, and it's not focus on this conversation, but recently there was an announcement. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to let you talk about what focus is and how it plays a part in cost optimization. And then I have a challenging question for Alex at the end of this. So I'm going to put her on the spot for it. 
Okay, so uh, FOCUS is, stands for FinOps Open Cost and Usage Specification. So it's a specification which is developed by cloud service providers, FinOps practitioners together, and it's uh, basically run by FinOps Foundation who wants to like bring us all together and uh, create a specification for cost and usage data which would be common for everyone. And transparent terminology would be like standardized um, and it would be easy to reason about your cloud spend and usage regardless of you know, cloud provider. So then customers who are familiar with, you know, like, wants to optimize something um, with their storage, they know the entry point like, because the data is pretty much standard. They know the columns, they know the schema, they know um, the values which come out of their like, you know, cost categories. So at the moment, like everyone calls their service or services or categorize their services as they want, like what, what you call as storage or what you call as analytics, which services. So Focus aimed to align this all and, for example, and will help customers to answer questions like what my, you know, spend per analytic services across, across all my cloud providers. And it also will help customers to be more, let's say, flexible in terms of okay, which uh, solutions they're going to use or enable customers also to build something for themselves, you know, because the data is standard. They do not need to spend time on normalizing it across across different cloud providers so they can take solutions like Kudos in the future, for example, and use them across all cloud providers, regardless of you know, where they are hosted. Um, I, I was talking to another FinOps practitioner yesterday here at reInvent, and um, they were like, oh, what's, what's the one secret feature in all these features you launched? And I'm like, actually, you know what's really cool? We launched a new data export for the Cur. In that new data export, there is account name. So the Cur has never had the account name. What? Yeah. Nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> how is that possible with all the account? How do you know that? Wait, wait. So how do you tie multi-count to it? So, so everybody's been merging the Cur data with another data source that has account name to map the account number to the account name. And so that's kind of like, it's an, it's, it's not fun, right? To have to have to merge your cur data to be able to see account name. So that's, that's there now. You, you now directly have account name in your cur exports if you're using the new cur 2.0. So that, that's like my treasured hidden feature amidst all of the launches. Like if, you, if you're trying to like look at the CFM blog and, and read through all the launches that we had the last couple of days, which is tremendous and really fun. But the, the little gem is account name. It's my favorite. And, and, you know, I want to say that, like, my favorite launches, of course, are the ones that my team did. But that account name one is really cool. And saving dollars, it's uh, kind of the, uh, the, the another, uh, another result of it. 
saving dollars is a byproduct of implementing byproduct. yeah i wish i had all this vocabulary i wish i wish <laughs> <laughs> that's all right Ellie, i got two more questions before i wrap things up when i was out at reinvent i was actually talking to an awesome guy and we were talking about the payback period of finops when you implement it there's a cost associated with implementing it right there's a lot of investment yeah. a lot of uh, yeah. culture uh you have to put everybody together reporting dashboards reviewing everything it's really overwhelming, right? So you're investing all this time and money up front. How soon or how do you get the payback, the, the actual cost optimization, the benefit, the byproduct of FinOps? Like, how can you expedite this to start seeing yeah. results? Do I just evaluate everything all at once or can I take little chunks and start seeing results immediately that will show my company, show everybody the value of implementing this culture? So there are cases where you get the job and you see many low-hanging fruits that will bring a quick ROI for the FinOps engagement. Um, usually people hire me after they did that. So I don't have the, I don't have this luxury to come and, uh, you know, deal with the low-hanging fruit stuff. So I'm looking for other ways to bring uh, this uh, ROI. Um, and usually, like we said, you know, dealing with networking, dealing with data, dealing with data analytics, it takes Kubernetes, it takes, it takes longer. It's not a one day activity. Sometimes it takes six months or one year to understand the challenge, to evaluate the op options, to get the buy-in of the organization and to make the change. You know, if you are dealing with changing S3 storage tiers, it can take time. It's, it, it takes time, this project. So uh, in many cases, I identify these opportunities, but th this requires some investment. Something I focus, you know, things that happen uh, more often is actually the agreements with third-party uh, um, um, tool providers and also the agreements with the cloud providers. Uh, and this is a place that I think many organizations uh, miss the point. Uh, they, they don't know the whole picture. And this is a place that I try also to bring value to the organizations I support. And over there, again, there is a, a big chunk of dollars that are also not optimized or the organization are not maximizing the, the benefit they can get. Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed the highlights of our past 18 episodes. We have a jam-packed episode schedule coming up, but I wanted to give a shout out to all of our guests and all the recordings that we did leading up to this. This has been another awesome episode. No, wait, it's actually been another awesome highlight and discussion around Faces and FinOps podcast powered by our great friends at ProsperOps. Be sure to hit that like, subscribe, notify, and also check out the ProsperOps blog.